And right now I'm joined by Dr. James Headley from the Department of Politics here at the University. Good morning. Morning, Jamie. How are we today? Uh, good, sure. thanks. Lovely day. It is a lovely day. It's a yeah. fantastic day. Um, it's, it's been a bit of a, a, a nice run, except for the weekends, yeah. it seems. Yeah. And it's going to be like that again this weekend. Oh, right. <laughs> Why do they do that to us? That's not fair. Make the work days beautiful, bright and sunny. Yeah. And then, but then again, I was thinking about it last night, and I was in bed at like 9 o'clock, and it was so, so sunny and bright. So you've got enough daytime left once you finish work That's anyway. Right. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about um, that kind of stuff. We're here to talk about um, what is going on, uh, pretty much the antipodes of us. Close enough. Well, Spain's there, Dunedin's antipodes, but, you know, Euro European Union and stuff. Um, you know, we're gonna, I guess we'll start with what's happening in Turkey, uh, with Turkey and Russia. Um, you know, uh, this morning I just um, I picked up on the fact that Russia, Russia has come out this morning and said that, um, they, you know, Turkey's just doing this to protect the oil they're getting from IS and protect the fact that they're getting that and so the world doesn't see that. Mm. Do you think that might be the case? Uh, well, I think kind of Russia's just coming up with all sorts of accusations against Turkey. Uh, it's one dynamic. I think basically what you got is um, Turkey and Russia have entered a civil war on different sides. Mm -hmm. And the fear has always been that some sort of accident or even kind of deliberate um, event might happen which... Uh, will kind of spark it off and then you just get this kind of flow of rhetoric from both sides so uh, I mean Turkey's been one of the most deciduous uh, uh, countries fighting against or supporting the fight against uh, Assad and, and very much involved in mm -hmm. Syria mm -hmm. and Russia has been very much in favor of propping up Assad and and now of course more recently become militarily involved so the situation was always there that this might lead to some sort of uh, event but that that event will be kind of exaggerated because then all these accusations will fly from from both sides really yeah 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 would you know would Turkey be doing this if it wasn't for NATO I think they've yeah I think they've always got that backup yeah that they know that they're not on their own and NATO came out quite sensibly I think saying you know we support our ally but everybody should calm down yeah I think yeah. that was actually quite a sensible tactic but I think it does give a certain level of con confidence to Turkey that uh, otherwise they might be more uh, cautious with it mm -hmm. yeah. and the Turkish government uh, invokes uh, quite a large amount of nationalism yeah within the country uh, and you've got uh, in the area of uh, Syria where the plane was shot down or, or where it was shot down you know there's yeah accusations on both sides but that's um, you know uh, the the people that live within that that area uh, the Turkmans yeah um, you know they're, 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 they're brethren with with the Turkish people so this yeah. will be a popular move yeah, and I think Erdogan, uh, the Turkish president, is a bit like Putin. You know, he's, he's risen to power on a particular form of nationalism, um, mm -hmm. one which is more Islamic than the kind of um, more sort of secular Kemalist approach in Turkey. But nevertheless, and, and recently um, secured a parliamentary victory after a first election earlier in the year where it was sort of more up in the balance, which yeah. seemed to show that uh, this sort of more nationalist rhetoric still garners uh, enough support yeah so as with other situations like we've seen with Ukraine I think there's a kind of danger where leaders come to power through that rhetoric where they're perhaps more sensible themselves but they get kind of trapped into that rhetoric and feel they have to kind of play it out yeah yeah and uh, part of that as you say is supporting 
ethnic kin or yeah. linguistic kin or whatever across borders. I mean, uh, Turkey isn't going to the same extent that Russia has in no. terms of kind of changing borders and so on, but it's a similar sort of dynamic actually. And uh, so that's a, that's another element uh, to it, and, and one reason why, as, as you say, Turkey is so sort of. Um, so embroiled in the in the war in Syria, as well as the Kurdish element and the fact that they're, you know, right on the border and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this this move will probably like uh, tighten the government, Erdogan's government's grip on power. Yes, unless it totally <laughs> backfires. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's playing a risky game, and uh, there there were sort of indications that he might be trying to be more conciliatory with uh, saying, "Well, we weren't sure, we didn't know it was a Russian plane." Yeah. Uh, which kind of the Russians were a bit sort of skeptical about, but that seemed to be sort of backing down a little bit. But at the same time, they're not offering any kind of formal uh, apology, so it does seem to be. Uh, uh, Yes, it's popular, but uh, if it leads to something which, uh, in the end, I mean, th there will be an impact because uh, Russia's bringing in sanctions against Turkey and, uh, and uh, huge numbers of Russians go to Turkey these days for holidays and so on. Mm. Turkey imports to Russia. And previously, yeah. before all of this, um, Turkey and Russia have pretty good relations. Yeah. They've been developing pretty well. I mean, historically, there's tensions, but uh, over the last decade or so, they've been... Um, especially as Turkey had turned away a bit from the EU, then uh, things have been developing quite nicely. But it's amazing how rapidly <laughs> things can change, and you see that in the last week or two. Indeed, indeed. I find it quite an interesting move from Russia not to call back their foreign um, diplomat, their top diplomat in Turkey. Yeah, again, I think there's um, there, there have been other... And, and Russia's... This tends to be the approach that Russia takes, this sort of quite loud rhetoric. Um, plus economic measures, mm -hmm. some of which are often quite odd where they, they'll sort of say that they did this, for example, with Georgia, where they said their wine wasn't safe to drink. Yeah. <laughs> so they so they kind of do it in terms of food standards, uh, drink standards, and that sort of thing's happening with Turkey. At the same time as sort of trying to kind of find a conciliatory route um, through diplomatic channels, I think. It, it is interesting. I think um, there has been an attempt to coordinate, and th this was one of the problems that they said that the US were aware of the flight path of this of this jet so um, and they presumably passed it on to Turkey so they have been taking measures to try and coordinate so that something like this couldn't happen mm -hmm. um, I've spoken before about my previous research on the Yugoslav conflicts but it was interesting in that case that all sides were very careful not to turn it into a proxy war yeah where there was a danger of it turning into a, a bigger kind of interstate war with the great powers and that's the opposite in Syria I think that, that level of caution isn't there so much perhaps because well, there's changing approaches in Russian foreign policy. There's much more assertiveness, but also perhaps they feel even more central interests are at stake. Yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, with Russia's policies at the moment, is it a backward step? Are we going to see the Russia that we saw in the 90s, like early, you know, um, you know, starving people with all these with all these sanctions coming upon upon them, and then them taking sanctions yeah. out against other countries that still would mean bad things for Russia? Yeah, I mean, I think. Russia's, of course, been particularly hit by the by the drastic drop in oil prices mm -hmm. and gas prices. Yeah, um, they've had a huge reserve fund that they can draw on. They quite sensibly kind of created this fund during the boom time, but they've been eating into that a lot as the rubles declined and the exports, you know, the export earnings have gone down. Yeah, um, and then we've seen the other sanctions with the EU and so on, um, and you know, this effect now. So. <laughs> 
I suppose it feeds into a nationalist rhetoric of, yeah, we can be more self-sufficient and so on, but I don't think any country can these days, and Russia certainly has been dependent on trade and importing, mm -hmm. including essential foodstuffs for, for many decades now. So it's not in such a strong position that it can go totally isolated, and I suppose that's a positive thing, that that means that there, there are kind of factors which will um, restrain it in some way. Yeah, they'll just be hoping that uh, they can somehow manipulate what's going on in the um, and get a, get a ban of uh, fracking because that's really the thing that's <laughs> yeah. really that's really hurting them in the states with that, the shale gas and yeah that and, and I think the US put quite a lot of pressure on Saudi Arabia to to kind of keep its production going mm. which also drove down the, down the price yeah. so there was a whole kind of geopolitical sort of going on a few years ago that was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now what 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 could this mean for the coalition against IS could it could you know could it change things or do you think it's relatively going to stay the same um, in a sense it's part of a different dynamic so what you've got at the moment is uh, France extending airstrikes Mm. The United States doing it anyway. The United Kingdom debating it, and um, David Cameron, the Prime Minister, wanting to kind of get cross-party support, or at least a reasonable majority in Parliament, to join that in. Now, all of that, uh, I suspect that will go ahead. Yeah. So you will get an enlarged one, well, not the extent that France was talking about, but an enlarged um, action against ISIS or ISIL, IS, um, and some potentially some sort of coordination with Russia over that. Of course, there's still this disagreement that Russia is, seems to be attacking forces which uh, the Americans perhaps support. So there is still yeah. that danger, but uh, at the same time, it might actually be more effective in striking against uh, IS, the, the more countries involved. Having said that, there, are, there is analysis that suggests that uh, well, the, the fundamental problem, and this is you see this actually in the debate in the UK at the moment, is that without the ground troops, effective ground troops to back up those airstrikes, the airstrikes can keep IS in position, but they already control a lot of land. They can stop them kind of doing bigger offensives and so on. But yeah. IS have kind of distributed forces around in a way that, okay, it restrains them, but uh, that it doesn't necessarily drive them back. So you need the ground forces there. And it's very interesting in this debate in the UK that um, they're having, you know, arguments about that. The uh, joint intelligence services come out with this report um, saying that there's this large number of forces that they can draw on on the ground, these kind of anti-Assad but also anti-IS forces uh -huh. um, and people are quite sceptical about that, particularly after their role in the in the Iraq <laughs> war um, but, but also more specifically for kind of once you point to those forces, like for example that includes Kurdish ones who aren't going to kind of take the fight further than the Kurdish area, so that, that's one yeah. example so um, the airstrikes may well escalate against IS, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to totally yeah. eradicate them. Our oh, boots on the ground is the only way you, mm. you could do it. But um, like you were saying, um, the lesson, you know, have they learnt their lesson from supporting um, those kinds mm -hmm. of paramilitary groups? Um, you know, but you could look all the way back to Nicaragua mm. uh, for the same thing, Colombia. Mm. Um, Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every proxy war that pops up, there's um, yeah. a war war. The government. At the same time, I'm not surprised particularly to see the French reaction with Hollande, who, who in the past has been, you know, he's not come across as a kind of military strongman. But mm -hmm. Again, it's part of the politics, I suppose, that after what happened in France, then a kind of rhetoric ensues, which isn't necessarily right. And I think in uh, after 9/11, the kind of way that Bush used it to to um, 
give credence to an attack on Iraq was totally wrong, but you can see why in this case, and, and the parallel is actually more with Afghanistan to say, look, these people who committed these terrorist acts, it could only maybe happen with that support from IS, and so we have to go against them, so you can see yeah. why that's happening. Um, but what, what does this kind of mean for France, uh, if we look at France now, mm. uh, in terms of spreading themselves thin, because thin, they're already kind of fighting IS in Africa. That's right. Mm. Um, that's why I think they're drawing on alliance, and I, and I think particularly the UK is significant in that. Yeah. We, uh, within the European context, it's and uh, outside the NATO um, context, it's actually been the UK and France who have kind of acted together in trying to sort of establish, <coughs> excuse me, well, uh, a more kind of effective fighting force for for the European Union. I guess a bit independent NATO, still tied to it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think they're very much um, dependent on the UK to which itself will be spread a bit more thinly because yeah. they're conducting strikes and, and so on in Iraq but they've got bases there like in uh, Akrotiri and Cyprus and so on so um, I think in particular they're, they're hoping and Orlando's you know really publicly appealed to the UK Parliament and Cameron in particular to, to support them so, but I think you're right otherwise there will be quite thinly spread. It's such a it's such a mess um, you know you've got both Russia and Turkey are both against the Kurds. Um, you know, everybody's against IS, but other, everybody's kind of against each other groups that's fighting mm. IS. Mm. Uh, I mean, where, yeah. what, what is really going to happen in the end? And what's going to happen with the power base within Syria? If, um, really, because, you know, each group is kind of going to be put into power, surely. Yeah, and the, and the danger is you end up with an Iraq-type situation, which mm. is basically that once that happened, it splintered. Yeah, and even when it was held together by various means, it was always very precarious. And then you saw with the rise of uh, IS that, um, that that you know the Iraqi army collapsed pretty quickly. So similar dangers, I think, and it relates to deeper problems about whether we can see Syria as a kind of coherent state in in any case. And that once you get some sort of democratization, whether it can hold together, which is not unique to to Syria. Yeah, um, I think. Um, it reflects fundamental um, differences over what kind of country they want Syria to be, um, what kind of ethnic relations it will have, um, but also in terms of tactics, I think one of the fundamental differences, of course, internationally has been that Russia has said, um, you know, maybe in, in the long term Assad can go, but in the short term he should stay, he's in effective fight against extremists and uh, we should have a kind of orderly transfer of power. And they, it came out recently that Russia kind of proposed this agreement of a sort of provisional government which gradually would kind of hand over control mm -hmm. back in 2012 and at that time the Americans in particular sort of saw the tide turning against the dictators in that part of the world and thought, um, you know, Assad will go and we'll just support these other groups and so I think it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. You can understand why because quite rightly they're sort of saying that Assad was, you know, was a bad dictator etc. <laughs> but pragmatically in the long term whether that I, I don't think that was the right move what he and, and, and uh, it re more recently there's been you know before this you know this clash with Turkey there were the more positive signs that you might yeah. be getting a, a stronger international alliance with a more um, meaningful strategy for um, replacing 
as I said, over the long term, but also integrating other groups and and, mm -hmm. and also trying to turn that into a fight against IS. Well, Turkey must have seen that they were going to throw a massive spanner in the work in 17 seconds. This is a ridiculous, you know. It's yeah, I think it was a deliberate. They knew it was a Russian plane, and they could have taken other measures. So it does seem to have been a deliberate. Yeah. Um, Retaliation against you know Russia intervening in a war which uh, on the side that Turkey didn't agree with I think that's why yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, quickly on to uh, European uh, the EU uh, the Paris attacks uh, massive tragedy what does this mean for the European Union uh, especially in terms of the freedom of movement between countries well what the initial reaction is I mean obviously the initial kind of practical measures to temporarily close the border between Belgium and France for example yeah um, and we're seeing also similar potentially temporary but possibly more permanent measures between certain countries because of the refugee flow mm -hmm. however the, the main kind of idea from the European Union so far has been to be about strengthening the external borders of Schengen Schengen is the area in which you don't need a passport to travel around yeah so the idea is if you strengthen that external border then you know who's in there and you can kind of keep the people you don't want out or you can keep tabs on them which is another issue actually it's also about kind of sharing intelligence which isn't done very well I think that uh, um, partly for security reasons yeah I kind of feel that you know the, the, the more that intelligence is shared between countries the more risk there is of it being looped or hacked or whatever mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of one area it's strengthen the external borders and then strengthen cooperation uh, within it um, I wouldn't be surprised to see sort of more low-key borders kind of creeping back in and they're kind of there to a certain extent. I mean, the border's still there. It's just that they're not manned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've travelled around, and it, you know, it's quite amazing these days compared with, you know, when I was first um, travelling around hitchhiking, actually around Europe, and mm -hmm. you came to a border, and it was quite difficult hitchhiking because people didn't necessarily want to take you across the border because yeah, you got the border checks and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nowadays, you know, a lot of uh, the European Union, all the ones in the Schengen, you, you don't. Uh, you notice the border but nothing happens at the border mm -hmm. so it has been a big change but because those borders are still technically there you know you might have kind of cursory um, checks being introduced or temporary ones at certain times of crisis um, but then there's this question of the stronger external borders now the problem with that is it then contributes to um, more tragedies basically because you've got this kind of strengthened border at places like um, the border between Greece the land border between Greece and Turkey so mm -hmm. these refugee flows aren't going to stop so yeah. people are going by boat instead and drowning as a result so that kind of um, strengthening of borders there or say be between Hungary and Serbia isn't necessarily going to solve anything. Yeah and, well exactly and, and I mean you've got to look at like um, some of the countries where IS fighters are coming from a lot of them are coming from European nations and well that mm. would just if you do tighten the external borders so well that just mean that a lot of those fighters won't necessarily go to Syria yeah. uh, and Iraq they might just stay at home yeah. and fight from there yeah I think you're seeing that um, governments are really at a loss what to do in this situation yeah they're citizens of their own country some of whom they see as a threat the UK is increasingly taking this policy of removing citizenship from people that it perceives as a threat which is actually quite a dangerous um, uh, trend to set, set mm -hmm. in I think because it creates stateless people um, so you're right there's this it's not just from IS anyway 
and uh, uh, we saw previously like with the London or Madrid bombings or whatever before IS that mm -hmm. you know the domestic threat was already there um, yeah. get support and people get radicalized by going to Syria but um, as you say it's it's a feature of Europe and perhaps more wi the wider Western world uh, these days and uh, I think I mean I was in London not long after the the bombings there and to a certain extent it just becomes a fact of life yeah that you you're aware that this in, this risk is there but you just have to kind of live with it as, as you do I mean I grew up with the IRA bombings and uh, as you mm -hmm. did at that time as well and I suspect actually I mean we quite rightly I think are very wary about the sort of measures that the security services have done in in um, clamping down on certain civil liberties and I think we need to fight against that going too far at the same time they've yeah. they probably have been quite effective over the last decade in preventing more atrocities happening. Well that's what I was going to say, are we just going to end up having to lose more rights as people to fight the, this, this war? I think it does have to be done as a, as a difficult balance that at some point you have to accept there is, these things will happen, the only way to prevent, I mean take after the London bombings, you know there was talk about are people not going to be able to take their backpacks onto onto the underground yeah, yeah. and then you know people realise yeah, everybody does this, you can't stop it so um, certain things I think you have to um, just as I say accept that risk and I think you do have to draw the line over certain things and not use this as an excuse to totally infringe civil liberties at the same time as people being aware that um, uh, in, in certain circumstances um, I think it needs to be more targeted and that's yeah. been what came up with the Snowden uh, releases and so on this sort of idea of kind of blanket surveillance and blanket kind of scooping up data isn't even necessarily that effective so it's more about um, more targeted ones and in those cases then allowing um, sort of fairly strong surveillance yeah yeah and well they can encroach on religious liberties really that's true yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think the fund fundamental tension over uh, increasingly multicultural states and, and a small minority within you know one of the groups within that uh, what you can do about that is very problematic in France I think a lot of the debate has been about whether what what kind of measures can be taken not just about you know, military action against IS but about preventing radicalization of young people yeah. Alright, um, we, we, we're going to have to leave it there, um, James. I, I, I've run out of time, but. Um, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, yeah, well, we should. <laughs> there's so much to talk about. That's right. And all very interconnected as well, yeah. these days. It is, yeah. it is. But yeah. um, thank you for joining me once again. That's it's right. always a pleasure having you yep. on. And, uh, you know, I ha hate having to get you on. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I but feel that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic as always. Right. And uh, thanks very much. And have a lovely day. Thank you. All right, cheers. Um, James Headley from uh, uh, Dr. James Headley from the, the uh, Department of Politics here at the university, talking about his specialities, uh, Russian foreign policy in the EU. Radio, it's almost time to go here right now. Is Rosie.